Jay is, Jay's got the message for us, so I'm going to invite Jay Etherton up. So Jay, come on up. And Jay, I just want to pray over you real okay. quick before you get started. And, um, and uh, yeah, let me do that. Father God, we just, we just thank you for Jay, God. I pray that you would fill him with your spirit, fill him with your truth. And God, that we would hear today what you want us to hear. God, that we would come to the stunning realization that the word that was given and that's been passed down had an immediate purpose, but it had an eternal purpose as well, a purpose to communicate to each and every heart. So, Father, I just pray that you would show up powerfully this morning and, and just be with Jay this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Ben. So, for those who don't know me, I'm Jay Etherton. I'm one of the elders here at the church. And as uh, Ben alluded, uh, we've given our pastor, Joss, uh, some time off with his newborn son and wife and congratulate him. Some much-needed time off and also allow him some time where he does not have to prepare for the message on Sunday so he can spend more time with the family. So given that, I'm going to give the message this morning. You ready? You okay for that? Okay? Okay, so we're going to get honest with one another. Um, in preparing for this message, I had to ask myself a lot of tough questions and, and really get honest with myself. So I'm going to ask you to begin with a couple questions this morning, and I don't want you to answer me out loud, but I want you to contemplate it. I want you to think about it and be truthful to yourself, okay? First question, have you in the past... Or have you now ever felt stagnant, maybe stuck, complacent, lost spiritually? Maybe lukewarm at times. Or maybe even distant with God? Don't answer me, just think about that. It's really a yes or no answer. Question two, which is a little bit tougher. Why? Why have you felt that way? And if you're struggling with that answer, maybe, let me give you a hint, is it maybe your time in the Word, time with God? Maybe it's your prayer life. Maybe faith. Maybe it's self-centeredness, pride. Some of the things that we talked about, you know, Josh talked about last month right here. But if you're sitting there and you answered no to that first question, just for my benefit, I want you to meet me after church so we can go down to O'Galley River and watch you walk on water, right? <laughs> let's, let's be truthful. Let's be honest with ourselves, all right? So the basis of my message this morning is overcoming our spiritual limits. Before I begin, I just want to say a short prayer. Okay? Lord, Heavenly Father, may I put myself aside and may your words be spoken through me this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the fact is... We limit God for the most part. It's self-imposed on us, usually by our choice. And in 2016, if you recall, I gave a message on letting God in. And I just want to spend maybe just three minutes max recapping some of that, the highlights of that, because it leads into my message this morning. Plus, I see half of you weren't even here then. We've doubled in size, praise God, but you didn't even hear it. Um, we talked about three words, three promises that we discussed, and those were ask, seek, and call. They had to do with being in alignment with God, being totally dependent on God, 
and being spiritually filled in everything we do. And we discussed that in depth. We read three scriptures that point out the promises of God involving those three words. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Hebrews 11.6 He rewards those who earnestly seek him. And Jeremiah 33.3 Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So last month, Josh was given a series on the seventh-day shout that you see over here. He talked about pride, anger, control, sadness, selfishness. And do you recall what we did for the most part after almost every one of those sermons? We had an altar call. We had a time of prayer. It gave those a chance that were struggling with any of these issues right here a chance to verbalize it, a chance to come to God in prayer and surrender it. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus tells us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is exactly what we were called to do. This is exactly what we were trying to do last month. Verbalize it and surrender it to God. A prime example is in Mark 10. This is where Jesus heals the blind beggar, Bartimaeus. Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, and a blind man named Bartimaeus was sitting along the roadside begging. When Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus, he began to shout, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. But Jesus stopped and asked the man, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Then Jesus said, Go, your faith has healed you. Notice here, this is where Jesus asked him to verbalize his desire. This is important. He didn't have to do that. Jesus is all-knowing. He knew well in advance what this man needed. But he made him verbalize it. Remember, and we talked about this last time, we have not at many times in our lives because we ask not. God already knows exactly where you are and what you're dealing with. But what does he want from you? Simply to come forward to him and, yes, verbalize it by seeking him. And we said Matthew 7-7 calls out those three powerful actions in one verse. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And so we ask and we seek and we knock. This is basically where we left off last time. And God responds. Uh Uh-oh. At least he tries to respond. Then what? This is what I want to speak to you today about. And for the younger generation here, please listen carefully because you can save yourself a lot of strife. A lot of stuff that I've gone through, a lot of stuff that many of you in here have gone through. And you'll see what I'm talking about here closer to the end of the message. When God attempts to respond... This is where we often fall short. We put up boundaries. We have our own agenda most of the time. And we limit what God can do and wants to do in our lives and is what God wants to reveal to us as well. Basically, we limit God and the power he wants us to have. So Jesus informs us in two verses. Mark 10, 27. 
With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Luke 18, 27. What is possible with man is possible with God. So let me ask you this morning. Are you completely satisfied with your spiritual walk? What about your time with God? Your faith? Are you saying you're completely comfortable? No need to grow anymore? Maybe you've set some self-imposed limits or plateau or boundary on yourself. If you're like most of us, including me, you limit what God can do in your life. All this goes back to those questions I asked you earlier. and usually involves three areas. One, our time with God or in the Word. Two, prayer. And three, faith. So let's take the first one. One of the reasons we limit God is that we don't spend time with Him. Polls commissioned by the American Bible Study paint a dim picture with our engagement in the Bible. Of those that are considered Bible readers, not non-readers, I'm talking Bible readers, but readers, those who read the Bible at least three to four times a year, is 53%. So that 53%, that includes just, you may read the Bible maybe three times a year, and you're included in that. 15% of Bible readers, adults, say they read the Bible daily. That's 15% out of the 53%. 13% spend time in Scripture several times a week. 9% of Bible readers read it once a week. 8% read the Bible once a month. And 8% of readers read it three to four times a year. So roughly, that's a quarter of the population that say they read the Bible more than once a week. Do you know what the number one reason is for a Bible reader to decrease their time in the Word? The number one reason. Being too busy with life's responsibilities. I once heard at a Promise Keepers convention, and I've told some of you this, but it's stuck to me um, all these years. And it was Steve Ferris saying this, and he says, If Satan is not making you a bad person, he's making you a busy person. That can be just as bad. He's making you busy. Published in Christianity Today, Life Research Study found only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. 40% attending read their Bible occasionally, maybe once or twice a month. And one in five churchgoers say they never read the Bible. Is the problem access to our Bible? Is it the access? I mean, nine out of ten American homes have at least one Bible. The average Christian, or not Christian, owns at least three Bibles. And technology, many of you, we have it on our phones, our tablets, right there at our fingertips. We Americans, we appear to love the Bible, but we don't engage in it. We have, it up. we have three or four of them in our house up there on the shelf, but we're not engaging. Scripture is clearly telling us to engage. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Joshua 1.8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And Matthew 5.6, 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. But here, here, here is the key. I want you to listen carefully. This is the key. If we have a shallow walk with God, we cannot expect to receive deep revelation from him. God will match his words to us with our capacity to receive them. Did you get that? I want to give it that one more time. This is important. If we have a shallow walk with God, we cannot expect to receive deep revelation from him. God will match his words to us with our capacity to receive them. John 16, Jesus is talking with his disciples about the work of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 12, Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. The disciples at that time did not have the capacity to understand anything anymore. God will not reveal more truth to you than you're capable of receiving. It's usually our spiritual maturity that's limiting us. So, you know the one sure way to identify that God is increasing your capacity to receive? Not the only one, but one sure way? Those aha moments when reading your Bible. Some of you may know what I'm talking about here. You read this particular scripture and it just jumps off the page to you. Sometimes in joy, laughter, tears, it's revealed to you. You understand it. But you know, over the last few years or lifetime, you maybe read that scripture 10 times, 50 times, 100 times, and you just didn't get the understanding. It, just, it was just reading it. You know why it was revealed to you at this time? You now have the capacity to receive the truth and the understanding for what God is ready to reveal to you. You are spiritually mature. Maturity can now handle it, where before you weren't quite there. But you've got to engage. You've got to give it a chance. Turn to me, if you will, if you have your Bibles or your apps there, to, to Hebrews 5, chapter 5. I'm at 5, verse 11. 11 through 14. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That solid food is the deeper revelation. It's going deeper with God. It's saying you're now capable of receiving. So why do some people continually have those aha moments and maybe others that on rare occasions? It could be that some are steadily increasing their capacity to receive. They're actually engaging. Others may be stuck stagnant in the same place spiritually so they're not hearing anything new i've been i've been there so many times and it's frustrating there's no joy in it you're reading your bible and it's just that you're reading the words nothing's being revealed to you but then there's those times 
my gosh, I've read it a hundred times and all of a sudden it jumps out at you. It's like, oh, I've got it. I understand. I see what you're saying. But the reason for my stagnation is not God. It's always me. It's always me. Oftentimes it's my busyness. It's uh, <laughs> some of these things up here. Selfishness, pride, getting in the way. So I want you to ask yourself, are you spending time in his word? Be, and be truthful. Be honest with yourself. A second reason we limit God is our prayer life. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Did you know that prayer is fulfilling obedience to God? Matthew 6 tells us three things in line with obedience. Giving, prayer, and fasting. Those three things. And you'll notice each one says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. It doesn't say if you do, it's when you do. And notice also that it's God's will for us to pray, as 1 Thessalonians tells us. That in itself is enough said. But here's, here's the real gotcha. Prayer isn't just for us to place wishes before God. It's an opportunity for God to communicate with us as well. And often we forget that. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 18, Paul writes, But when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil would be taken away. And verse 18, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We do not conform God to our will through prayer. However, how often do we try to do that? Think about your prayer sometimes, how we're trying to conform God to our will. God transforms us as we abide in his presence. However, there's one major obstacle for most of us. And to be truthful, this is my obstacle. This is me. We must be willing to remain still so we can hear what God has to say to us. Amen? We often pray via one-way avenue, not even allowing God a chance to reach back to us. Why? I mean, usually we're always in a rush. And think, and think about this. I know most of you have been in a prayer group or a small group study or even here at church and someone's praying or your group's praying or you're taking turns and you're all pretty comfortable as long as there's these words flowing, there's prayer flowing. You're okay. Then there's silence. And silence sets in. Nobody's moving. And you begin to get antsy. You begin to get a little nervous. All over the silence. Because we can't sit there long enough, still enough, to maybe res- hear God respond back to us. I mean, if I stopped right here and I said, for the next 20 minutes, we're just going to shut down and be quiet and allow God to speak to us, I bet we'd have some people sweating bullets. Sweating bullets. <laughs> Jeremiah 7.13 tells us very well how God feels about being rejected by his people. 
while you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Who's imposing the limits here? Us. Back then, the Israelites. And we still do this 2,000 years later. So how much do we really want to know Christ? Think about it. What we often need is Apostle Paul's passion for knowing Christ. If you want to turn to me to Philippians, it's uh, Philippians 3, verse 10. Towards the back, just before Hebrews. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from the God and his faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him to his death. The Apostle Paul was consumed with the passion for knowing him. And you know, as a result, Paul experienced with God that few others ever did. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, he had a vision and a revelation where he was taken up into heaven and heard words, inexpressible things spoken that man is not even permitted to tell. Paul experienced to a degree far beyond what most Christians of his day. And why? This goes back to what I said earlier. God was matching his words to Paul with Paul's capacity to receive them. Paul was practicing James 4.8. It's very clear and very simple. James chapter 4, verse 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Period. God sets no limits to how closely we can come to know him. His invitation is open-ended. The limit to how close we draw to God lies with us all the time. So ask yourself, are you practicing James 4, 8? Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Now on to the third and possibly biggest reason we limit God is our faith. Hebrews 11:1. 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Have you set a limit? Maybe it's unintentional. Usually it's unintentional what God can do in your life, maybe how you can reach others, maybe how you can teach others or help others. Maybe you're limiting your spiritual gifts that God's given you. Think about that. Maybe it's allowing fear, worry, security to dampen what God has the best for you. I'm guilty. That's mine. Worry, Fear and security, that's me. More importantly, allowing unbelief to stagnate your spiritual growth. 
To be clear, God gives according to our faith. I want to point out an illustration found in 2 Kings. And this is in 2 Kings 4, verse 1 through 7. And I got to admit, this was one of my aha moments. I've read this before. I never really got anything out of it before. But in preparing for this message, it jumped right out at, at me. Here the prophet Elisha is approached by a poor widow because her creditor is coming to take her two sons and sell them to slavery as the compensation due. So Elisha asks what she possessed, which is one jar of oil. So 2 Kings chapter 4, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. And get this, don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into your jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were filled, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped. She went and told the man of God, and she said, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Here's the point. The number of jars gathered was the indication of the widow's faith. The oil would have kept flowing if she had more jars. It's right there in Scripture. Did she do anything wrong? Did she sin? No, she didn't. God responded to the level of her faith, simply received according to her faith. That's it. This is powerful when we speak of our faith in our lives. It has so much to do with limiting God's work in our lives. Another good illustration is found in Matthew 13. This is where Jesus is coming back to his hometown of Nazareth. At the time, the people had low expectations of the carpenter's son. Matthew 13, verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved, out, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense of him. But Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown and his own house is a prophet without honor. And get this. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Who was the one setting the limits again? Not Jesus. The people. I want to stress, the problem is never, never with God. God has proven throughout history that no human condition or situation exceeds his ability to do a miracle. The limiting factor 
is always us. So how do we begin overcoming our spiritual limits? Jesus gives us a very good insight. Matthew 17, verse 20. This is Jesus speaking, and many of you know this verse. Because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. The point here is Jesus assured us that we, if we have what we call genuine faith, all things are possible when aligned with his will. This scripture illustrates how small, just how small our faith usually is when we compare it to where God wants us to have it. He uses the mustard seed. Well, what I'm holding up right here, this is a, this is a glass casing. There's a mustard seed inside this, okay? And it's got to be in this glass casing because the mustard seed is only one to two millimeters big, the size of it. It's smaller than a BB, okay? This is an example of what God is telling us, how small our faith is. Or if we have faith as small as that mustard seed in here, we can move mountains. So just think about that. Growing spiritually and removing our self-imposed limits we place on God often comes from walking faithfully with God and obeying what he tells you. He provides a much straighter path if we would just take him up on his promises. So God has a plan for us. He has a plan for all of us. And that plan for me might be right over there next to that board. And I'm standing here now. But I say, Jay, you know, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to take him up on his promises. I'm going to do it his, my way. So more than likely, I'm going to get over there sometime in my lifetime. It might be finances. It might be my marriage relationship. It may be my job. could be anything. So I start my journey. I'm going to do it myself, my way. I take a step forward. I take two steps back. Oh, now I'm going over here. I'm zigzagging to the left. Oh, now I'm back over here to the right. Take another step back. Now I'm stagnant again. I'm in the pit. I'm distant with God. I finally climb out of it. I take a couple more steps forward, back again. Eventually I'm going to get over there, but I'm zigzagging all over the place. Or I can take God up on his promises, what he's telling us, what he's telling me. And I can start at the same place. And you know what? I can get there like this. Three simple steps. I'm there. This is something I'm telling the younger generation here. By taking God up on his promises, you avoid all this other stuff going on. It may take me years to get where I'm at. And there's certain things in my life it took me years to get. But if I just would have taken him up on his promises to begin with, I would have been there a lot sooner. I'm going to invite the, the, the band up here as I'm getting ready to uh, close. This process is meant to continue for the rest of our lives. It doesn't end. We just have to stop put, uh, putting self-imposed limits on God's power and will for our lives and let him work through you and me. Richard Blackaby, some of you may have heard him, is president of Blackaby Ministries International as well as a chancellor of the Canadian Southern Baptist Seminary. Puts it this way. He calls it, Unlimiting God. Simple two words. 
unlimiting God. And it all goes back to James 4.8. Come near to God, and He's going to come near to you. You can bet on that. Let me close. Lord, Heavenly Father, I just thank You for this time this morning and being able to speak Your Word. I pray that the Word spoken this morning is Your words. And anything that's not from You, it falls on deaf ears, Lord. And those words that come from You, maybe they permeate, and may they be in the hearts of those in here, and they take them outside the walls of this church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.